Welcome to the Banyan Edge Podcast. Here's your host, Charles Sizemore. Welcome to the Banyan Edge Podcast, America's number one source for safer, smarter, more profitable investing, where we aim to bring you the very best ideas and the very best minds in the business, completely filter-free. I am your host, Charles Sizemore, and joining me again this week is Mr. Mike Carr. Mike, welcome. Thank you, Charles. How are you? Doing well. So, Mike, I wanted to have you on this week because I want to continue the conversation we started last week. We were talking about the banks and what's going on with that. And this is the kind of the slow motion crisis that doesn't really seem to want to end. As you pointed out two weeks ago, this is really, you know, you called this more of a Bear Stearns moment than a Lehman Brothers moment. You called the, the failure of Silicon Valley uh, Bank the, more, of a, more of a bear moment than Lehman. And what you meant by that was this looks more like the beginning of a crisis than the end. Now, along those lines, in uh, the Banyan Edge this past week, you wrote a really interesting piece about uh, you know why tech got wrecked, like what the story is there. And like kind of the gist of it was, this is not just a banking issue. The banking issue is part of it, but with respect to tech, it's also a profit issue and the two are related. Uh, why, don't you, why don't you tell our viewers about that? I thought that was really good stuff. Well, the uh, Silicon Valley is the tip of the iceberg, and the iceberg is 0% interest rates. You know, the Fed broke everything by keeping rates at zero, and Ben Bernanke pointed that out. He said that at 0%, it makes sense to level the Rocky Mountains because the savings in gas are going to more than pay for the destruction of the mountains. That's how distorted the system was. And tech was a primary recipient of that. I don't know if you have ever taken an Uber, but Uber used to be really inexpensive. Um, and that was because 0% money, venture capital funds were pouring cash in, and Uber was using that to subsidize rides. The idea was like the crack dealer, let's get you hooked on the freebies. And then once you're addicted, we're going to jack up the price. What they're finding is I have noticed that, by the way, my trips to the airport are about 50% more expensive than they used to be. And sometimes during surge pricing, they're even more than that. Exactly. And that's the whole crack dealer model that Uber was going to try to follow. What they found was Uber is not exactly as addictive as drugs and people will take alternatives. So you're not seeing anyone in New York jump in an Uber now for a two block ride like they used to. Um, the business didn't make sense to begin with. Now it's going to have to right size. And that's what we're seeing throughout the sector. But tech is just, you know, the part of the iceberg that the Titanic hit. There's a whole lot more below the surface that we're going to be uncovering here in the weeks ahead. Well, I think it's also interesting when you had venture capital kind of throwing money at these tech ideas before. Profit, they didn't really care about profitability because at the end of the day, their end goal wasn't to own the business. Their end goal was to get it to an IPO, dump those shares on other investors, and then they take the proceeds from the IPO and the, the, you know they're on their merry way. So when that breaks down, when you know when you apart from higher interest rates, apart from all of that, apart from the, the lack of of profit. The question is, you know, when, when VC suddenly has to pay for that money when, and when they're, they're in game, the IPO doesn't look so hot right now, they're just not going to invest. And, and that means a, a dearth of, of new capital going to these, these ventures. So I think that aspect's interesting as well. 
I'm going to stay on my politically incorrect analogies for a moment. And VC was like the wolf of Wall Street. They were shouting into their phones. They had free money. They just wanted to dump those shares. And we saw that when these tech companies went public, they immediately cratered. Some days they sometimes they'd pop for a day or two, like Snap, but then down 50 to 90 percent within six months. So yeah, it was classic funny thing company. when they're not making money, there's not much of a reason to hold it for the long term. <laughs> for the individual, for the VC, it's let's just pump and dump. And it was Wolf of Wall Street on steroids, but it was, you know, guys in suits and ties in Silicon Valley doing it. Yeah, indeed. Now, this, okay, so kind of circling back more to banking, though. Now that um, we have had, well, this is what happens when Community Bank One gets into trouble in, and starts getting capital flight, Community Bank Two through Infinity says, ooh, we don't want to be in the same boat. We need to start scaling back. We need to be more conservative in our lending standards. We need to make fewer loans. We need to shore up our balance sheet, yada, yada, yada. So that has the effect, you know, this, this scare we've had in the banking sector. I don't know if there's a good way to really quantify this, but the banks scaling back on their own because they're scared that has the effect of a couple fed rate hikes you know so the fed's goal of of kind of bringing down inflation by by raising rates they kind of have more flexibility to not raise rates now or raise rates at a slower pace because the bank the bank pullback here particularly in those small and medium sized banks is kind of doing their work for them so how, how do you see that playing out? Like what, how do you see that rolling through the economy here? I mean, the, the, the people don't really think about the bank down the street, but that really is a really important part of the economy. Yeah, it is. Um, the bank down the street, the local banker is the one funding the shopping plaza in your neighborhood. You know, it's not the large scale banks that are doing that. So we're going to see commercial real estate take a big hit. And we're going to see small businesses take a big hit. And we're already seeing it. The St. Louis Fed Financial Stress Index is at levels rarely seen. We only have three other times, four other times when it was like this. And, you know, it was the financial crisis. It was long-term capital management. It was the tech bust. And it was the pandemic. So we're in that type of a news environment. And those are all big stories. And they all yeah. end Badly. No, for sure. I mean, I think about it. If, if you were the run, if you were the one running a, a small to medium sized bank, you saw what happened to Silicon Valley Bank. You saw what mm -hmm. happened to Signature and you see the, the mess that First Republic Bank is in now where they're kind of teetering. Nobody wants to be in that situation. So what are you going to do? You're just going to hoard cash. You're just going to keep cash on your balance sheet. You're going to keep it liquid just in case because you don't know when your depositors are going to get the itch to move. You don't know when these things become a self-fulfilling prophecy. And, and all of a sudden, because people are worried about recession, recession happens. And then your, your loans start to, you know, you start to have some bad loans or whatnot. So I think that that is interesting. Now, something along those lines. That, that I'm personally a bit concerned about is, you know, re recessions are, are self-fulfilling prophecies. When people worry about an impending recession, they pull back, thus causing the recession they worried about. And what that means in the markets, of course, is that we are likely to, if we, if we get this recession that the inverted yield curve has been forecasting now for months, 
and, and whatnot. And all this seems to be pushing along. What does that mean for profits? What does that mean for the direction of the market? You know, what, what do we have to look forward to the rest of the year? Well, yeah, you know, I still I stick by that. It's the Bear Stearns moment because after Bear Stearns, the S and P five hundred went up ten percent, and then it crashed sixty percent. So you know, we have a long ways to go in this cycle. Without access to credit, we're going to see a lot of companies not make it. We're going to see layoffs rise. We're going to see co consumers pull back because when you see your neighbor get laid off, you pull back. So we're going to see a lot less consumer spending. We're going to see fear rising. Uh, the recession is imminent. It has been for some time, but the recession begins after that yield curve, which is inverted. It begins after it starts going back up towards zero. And we're not there yet. We reached another new low last week. So we're still approaching recession. I don't think the Fed can stop it. The average market declined 40% in a recession. We're halfway there. Um, this could be a bad one. We'll just have to wait and see. But earnings are plummeting already. They're only going to get worse. Well, you said you don't think the Fed can stop it. I don't think the Fed wants to stop it. I think the Fed actually want, I think for the Fed, the ideal scenario would be to engineer at least a mild recession. Now, of course, does a mild recession snowball into something worse because they can't control they can't control it once they start it? Well, we'll see. But um, it's not it's not that, you know, hey, Fed's gonna help us because they want no, the Fed doesn't even want to help us on this. They they actually want to generate a a they they've been very clear on this. Like they want to halt growth to the extent they can to to actually kill inflation once and for all. So that's uh, that's what we're up against. Now, Mike, you made, you made a good point. You said, you know, it's funny when, when we think back to, to the 2008 meltdown, we just remember it was a really rough year and it just seemed like things dropped like a rock for, you know, continuously the whole year. But that that's actually not what happened at all. It happened in various stages. The, you know, the Bear Stearns failure was sort of the, the shot across the bow. There was a lot of volatility right when that happened, but then things turned around. As you pointed out, stocks actually rose for a while. Of course, when Lehman fell, that's when the bottom fell. That's, that's when people really started paying attention. That's where the average investor really started noticing that something was very broken. When, when Lehman failed, then the bottom sort of fell out. But for the, you know, what do you do in an environment like this? You know, I know, you know, you have very, um, you, you've shared your thoughts with me. I, I know what they are, but um, I know that your your approach is, is you know, not to buy and hold and hope for the best. You know, you're more of an active trader and in your mind, kind of uh, walk, walk me through that. Like, like how, how does one navigate this? And I think the idea is stay focused on the short term. And, you know, in general terms, if somebody asks you what the weather is going to be like two years from tomorrow, you don't know. If they ask you what it's going to be like, you know, next day, the next day, well, it's going to be just like it is today. Um, the short term is far more predictable than the long term. And right now we're in a short term environment. We're seeing a lot of trends develop quickly and then they reverse just as quickly. So we want to stay nimble, get in and out, holding things maybe two, three days at the most sometimes two, three minutes. Um, and on Fed days, we have trades in our trade room that we're out of in less than five minutes most of the time. Unfortunately, Fed days only happen every six weeks. I wish they happened every day. It would make for some interesting trading. But yeah, yeah. To, to your point, to your point, there is a perception that short-term trading can be risky. 
But this is the deal. If yeah, how do you really lose money? Like the way you really lose money is you hold on to a position that's falling and you just you you ride it all the way down. It, that that's that's how you actually that's how you you suffer the kinds of losses that are very hard to recover from. If you have a disciplined short-term strategy, that's not what you're doing. You know, it, it's based on repetition. You're looking you're looking for quick hits. You know, you're looking for you know you're looking to be in and out. If you win, you know you expect to win. But if you even if you lose, you're not you're not taking catastrophic losses. You're taking small losses that are made up by repetition. Um, kind of walk us through that a little. So I think the idea of buy and hold being so safe is overlooking an important point. The market fell almost sixty percent in two thousand eight. Um, it got back to break even in two thousand thirteen. So it took you five years to get back to break even. That's five years maybe you had to delay your retirement. That's a big risk. So I think people ignore that part of it, that a big downturn takes a lot of time to recover. If, you know, like some of us, you're over 60, um, you really don't have that time. So by focusing on the short term, um, I use rules in my trading that if a trade doesn't move in a certain amount of time, as little as two hours, I just get out and look for the next thing. You're always on to the next thing. The short term limits your risk because you're focused on risk right from the beginning. When you place that trade, you are managing your risk. You're not counting on the market to bail you out. It's more an individualistic approach to trading, I think. Yeah, and you're not getting emotionally invested in it because you're in and you're out. You're not the, the worst mistake I've ever seen anybody make, and I, I myself have made it. You know, everybody does at one point or another. You get emotionally invested in a trade, and it's your stock. It's not a stock. It's my stock, and then that's the root of that's the root of all evil in uh, in, in this line of work. Is just getting too emotionally invested. You stay disciplined. You know, you're in, you're out, you follow your rules, you manage your risk, and you get through this. I mean, it, it really, I mean, it, it's it, it's simple. It can be difficult to execute, but, you know, you, you follow the rules, and it really isn't. It's really not that hard. So I think that that's really important, and I, I think um, our, our listeners here would be very well advised to, to listen to you on this, Mike. And so about that, we're going to put a link below. Um, if you want to find out more about what Mike's up to, like what some of these short-term trades look like, you know, how he plans to navigate you know, the next six months or so, then you know, please follow this link below. And on that, Mike, we'll let you get back to your trading. Thanks for joining. Thank you. Thank you.